Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. had an opportunity to speak with Yessa Borst from the YouTube channel Money Principles. Yessa is a professional portfolio manager, so it was a great opportunity for me to ask him some questions, particularly as it hasn't been a great year for financial markets. It can always be great to get a perspective from a professional, particularly somebody who's looking out for the long term. Without further ado, let's jump over to the interview. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for uh, for having me on your uh, podcast. Uh, yes, sure. I would like to introduce myself. I'm in my early 30s. I'm married. I have uh, two young children, two boys so by the age of two and four. And indeed, I have, let's say, quite an extensive career in uh, the financial industry. I started when I was 19 at EY as a tax consultant. Later on, I worked at PwC as an accountant. And when my career progressed, I worked in an insurance company and eventually now working for a big Wall Street bank responsible for managing multi-asset portfolios, managing several billion dollars. And multi-asset effectively, the, the skill that you're using is asset allocation. So I decide for my clients uh, where they invest. So in equities, real estate, commodities, bonds, corporate bonds, high yield bonds, emerging market debt, a broad range of, let's say, asset classes. Next to that, I also have, let's say, a YouTube channel, Money Principles, which teaches people about personal finance, about how they can manage their money better, but also about investing, given that it's clearly one of my expertise as well. Let me share a bit of my the reason why I started this, this YouTube channel. When I became an investment expert with what's called a portfolio manager, I got a lot of questions from friends and family about how can I start investing? What do I need to do? What do I need to invest in? But it's very difficult if you're on a birthday to share in five minutes how, how somebody can start with investing and what investments they should buy, because it will depend, of course, on their financial goals. Uh, it will depend on their appetite for risk. And it will also depend on how much time and energy they, they want to spend on their investments. Because in reality, the more complex your investments become, the more time you need to spend on that and you need to track them and you need to be aware of all the risks of all the details of your investment. So one of my key principles is that start simple and then slowly build out complexity also to give yourself the time to really get a handle on your investments to get started. And I think starting with investing is probably one of the best financial decisions that you will make. Thanks, Yessa. That's a wonderful introduction and it really is an honor to have you on the show. I 100% agree with you, by the way, on keeping things simple, especially early on in my own experience in 2018 when I started investing I felt this pressure that I sort of missed the investing opportunity and so I started chasing these high risk high return investments things like forex trading stuff in crypto unregulated investments all sorts of stuff that ended up me losing a fairly significant amount of money early on so I really like your advice of keeping 
things simple. I guess it might be interesting to ask, was there any mistakes that you made early on that you might be able to share? Yeah, I think the first thing that I counted on my own journey is that even if that I was, let's say, a professional investor, what I noticed in my surrounding also with my colleagues is that not many people are investing. So, uh, of course, people have pension plans in the Netherlands, about 90% of the Dutch population has a regular pension plan. And the, let's say the retirement contributions on those plans are very sizable. So the average contribution is about 20% of their income. So we have a very solid pension system and therefore people don't really feel the need to look at their personal investments or do additional investments. But the big downside of that is, is that investing is not, let's say, a common topic. And it's also, especially if you, for instance, self-employed and you don't have, let's say, an employer and a pension plan, is that you're not aware of the potential, say, pension deficit or retirement deficit that you that you have. So one of the key things that I encountered is that I started investing in my late 20s when I got into the investing field myself. But yeah, I haven't learned about investing on my formal education. I learned about, let's say, derivatives, valuations, uh, but nobody explained, okay, why do you need to invest? Why is the power of compound interest a miracle and something that you need to take advantage of? And you have all these systems, so you learn all these complex financial techniques, but the basics, why do people need to invest, was, uh, was left out. So I needed to... Yeah, re-educate myself. Also from the perspective, okay, what if I don't know anything? What steps do I need to do need to take then? And what I figured out is that, uh, especially with uh, with investing, it's not it's not always so much about let's say picking the best investments, but it's more sticking to your plan. And one thing, for instance, in this market environment, when you see that uh, equity markets are down, bond markets are suffering. Um, that there's not really a place to hide of course cryptocurrencies down significantly. Can you then still stick to your plan? And your plan is that you invest every month so that you reach a financial goal and a financial goal could be financial independence or that you want to, let's say, save for your kid's education uh, or something else, but that you stick to your plan and that effectively that you know that markets will recover if you give it give it time. And that, that's always difficult when there's a crisis because tomorrow always looks worse when, when you're in the crisis. Uh, however, the, the, the best market days are the days, let's say, just uh, after the crisis and you don't want to miss those days. So they did a study about the S&P 500. So if you wouldn't invest in the four, four or five best days of uh, the last decade, yeah, you would have missed out about, let's say, I've had to return. So you don't want to miss those. And timing the market, and that's something that I do for a living, is uh, a big challenge. That's why we have very complex investment processes. And it, it's not something that you can do for yourself in your spare time by watching the news and looking at your, let's say, investment portfolio. Although it's very tempting because indeed when you lose money, then uh, it starts to eat, it starts to, trigger you to to act it starts to trigger you to move uh, and one thing that i've uh, that i've personally decided to is to also have a strategy in place to deal with those let's say negative emotions and one thing that i'm a big fan of is that you also have some cash available that you can buy when markets are severely down 
normally you would say, okay, just invest over the long term, uh, you're, you will be better off. Uh, but having that peace of mind, knowing that you have some capital available and that that doesn't have to be a significant part of your portfolio, but just having some capital available and allowing yourself to buy the dip and having, for instance, a strategy on that. So if the market dips 10%, you buy a bit more uh, and the market, if the market dips 20%, you buy a bit more that you have some kind of strategy in place that focuses you on the thing that matters most and make a negative event, turn that into a positive and that will help you to stay on your on the course uh, and by of course investing uh, in, uh, in let's say markets that are down that clearly helps your return but more importantly it helps you tick, stick to the journey ah thanks yes this is really really great stuff and it's interesting what you mentioned there about trying to time the market and about the fact that there's only really a handful of days where you might get the big movements in the market. And I certainly remember a friend during the COVID pandemic there in 2020, he called me up one day, the pharmaceuticals had just announced the COVID-19 vaccine. And I don't know if you recall, but markets moved about 5% that day. And he called me up and said, oh, are you in the share market? And I didn't have a huge amount at the time. I think I probably only had around 30,000 euros in the share market at that stage. But I kind of said, yeah, yeah, no, I am. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, that, that's really something I should look into. And it's one of those things, isn't it, where, you know, trying to time the market can be so difficult. And look, we've all tried it. I certainly have myself as well. And it's interesting what you mentioned in relation to your own organization. And I suspect that there are probably a whole team of professionals there that are constantly scanning and getting information on the market that we as individuals simply would never have the time nor capacity to do. You know, us trying to time the market based on what we hear on the mainstream media and so on is probably very, very difficult compared to some of the options and some of the things that you guys have within your own organization. Yeah, and if let's say let's say you are successful, and eh? so let's say you know, okay, the market is uh, is going down next week, and you sell, and then the question is, when do you buy back? So with timing, you need to be right twice. You need to you need to sell at the right time, but you also need to buy at the right time, and that's the difficulty if you start to spend a lot of time on it. And uh, for instance, that example that you give of the person that missed let's say one of the best days will he step back in now because if he has the feeling that he already missed it then he's out of the market and maybe you get a bull market for the next 10 years and you're always on the sidelines hoping for a correction to happen to step back in so there is there's all these uh, potential risks that will demotivate you to get back into the market and i think that's uh, you want to avoid that by uh, by all means because uh, being in the market will will give you, let's say, a risk premium and will give you a return. And of course, that, that is not always a positive return. Uh, but over the long term, that generally has always generated a positive return. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a mindset. And you also need to, I think, accept that sometimes markets don't work in your favor. Yeah, brilliant. And I guess, speaking of mindset, let's talk about the current year that we've just had 2022 because it has been a particularly hard year for markets 2022 is my fifth investing year and i thought after seeing the fall and rise of the share market in 2020 that perhaps i had seen it all but somehow 2022 feels a little bit different i'm certainly not looking to do anything too drastic and i certainly haven't even thought about selling any of the equities that i have 
However, would you have any advice for me and I guess other listeners that are likely in the same situation? Because at the moment, there doesn't feel like there's a huge amount of positives in the current market. And is there any light that you would give around perhaps a changing mindset of how we can think about the share market, particularly coming into 2023 and beyond? I know this a bit of a cliche when it comes to the share market, that every crisis seems magically worse than the previous one. But for some reason, this time it feels a little bit different. And I certainly would appreciate any advice that you can give on this. That's a, that's a, yeah, it's a very good question. I think that the, the emotional part, um, first of all, you need to realize that indeed nobody likes to lose money. Even if you have, let's say, a very seasoned investor, when markets are down, uh, it's not something that, that, that you will enjoy. Uh, but the reality is, is that when you signed up to be, let's say, when you signed up, for instance, to invest in equities, you know that the average drawdown in, uh, for instance, uh, global stocks is on average about uh, 10% a year. So we're currently in euro terms, the market is down about 13%, which should be under normal circumstances happen every year. Uh, we haven't had a significant draw drawdown since, let's say, COVID. And that has, of course, everything to do with uh, the, yeah, the stimulus that uh, governments have did, but also uh, monetary central banks have, uh, have done. But that has created, let's say, more of an exception than a rule that if you have two years of good performance, it doesn't necessarily uh, make it that we will have good performance over, uh, yeah, for the next uh, decade. So I think it's also that um, we need to readjust, look back. Okay, maybe we had some exceptional years. If we see now the market down uh, about thirteen percent, it's not the let's say the worst that has happened. And let's say we move into a recession, which is not completely unlikely, and the market let's say loses another ten percent. Then still. That, that means that if you look at cycles, you also know that recessions happen. So when you invest for the long term, let's say uh, for the next two decades, you know you will probably see a recession every, let's say, five to seven years. So you see about three to four recessions over the course of your investment horizon. If you start investing and you have invested, let's say, 100 grand, um, then, of course, a recession hurts, but now picture yourself in the shoes of a, of a wealthy individual. Let's say you have a million in your portfolio. Then how does a recession feel in that uh, circumstance? You can say, okay, if I want to be a wealthy person, then I might also want to train myself to handle market volatility. Um, and one way to how I, for instance, look at current market circumstances. Indeed, it is an exceptional period, but the market knows that as well. So high inflation, hawkish central banks, on the US front, we see a fiscal, uh, fiscal tightening, which all have a negative effect on market and the market knows that. And that's the reason why the market is down. So in dollar terms, the market's about, down about 20, 20%. So uh, it, it's not unknown. And the question is, is there additional information or do you have additional information to expect that things to get worse? And if you, for instance, look at uh, economic estimates for, for growth for, for instance, next year, it already looks, let's say, at least at, as technical recession. So 
it's not that the market is unaware. And I think that sometimes we project our fears on the market. Okay, if we see a recession, then the market should go down further. But the reality is, is the market's already priced that effectively in because it's not a 100% chance that it will be a recession. And even if it's a recession, two quarters of negative growth doesn't necessarily mean that we will see a depression type situation where we have high unemployment, uh, companies will have uh, have to lay off a, a lot of people, uh, but also margins will be squeezed. We see a credit cycle, for instance, a lot of bankruptcies. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. So I think it's good to understand that the market is not done. Uh, the market really already anticipates uh, all the fears that you currently have, because effectively the market is a combination of everybody's fears and hopes. And therefore, you also can, I think one of the key things that helps, at least on the emotional side, is just project yourself. What if you if you have a net worth that, that's 10 times more? That will be much more painful, but still you will you would like to stick to the plan. But because the only thing, the only way to get to that to that stage uh, is by investing. So it's not it's not an easy road. Uh, but it is a road that that you need to allow yourself to learn from market volatility. Uh, and maybe one thing, what has changed, and maybe that's a good thing to uh, to do highlight. One thing that we do see is that, for instance, in a fixed income market, so bonds, uh, corporate bonds, but also uh, government bonds, you see that the volatility on bonds have risen tremendously, has, has more than doubled. And that effectively means that if you have, let's say, a government bond, which normally would have been seen as low risk uh, on one hand because it has a low return, but also because the volatility is low on that asset class. But now you see a significant rise in the volatility of that asset class. Then you can, let's say, also question mark uh, whether you would still characterize that as low risk or at least characterize that uh, as low risk in the sense that if I hold, let's say, government bonds and with the returns that I will get from that, Am I willing to have this type of volatility? And I think that uh, many investors uh, will be who are invested in government bonds and in Europe is still uh, many people are invested in government bonds. They will need to reassess that. And that, of course, has everything to do with uh, inflation, potential higher interest rates, uh, which have negative returns. But more, more, more importantly is that if you buy an asset class for stable returns, then this change in volatility will have an imp- needs to impact, let's say, your reassessment of the asset class. Uh, thanks, yes. I look, that's a really good explanation. And yeah, I guess if I had to sum up 2022 in one word, that word would be sobering. Uh, certainly, a year of high inflation hasn't been great in terms of trying to plan for financial independence. And, and I guess four years of doing this podcast and I look I always love receiving emails from listeners and I always do my best to to give a prompt reply but I have noticed this year a trend that I'm getting far more emails about people concerned about rising costs and how to reduce expenses rather than emails around actually looking to retire early and so on so there's definitely been a change in mood when you actually 
try to crunch the numbers, we've had a year where the share market is well down and inflation is well up. And that's really a double whammy in the sense of if you were looking to retire on, say, 30,000 euros per year and inflation's run at 10%, well, yeah, that's another 3,000 euros a year on your yearly budget, which, if you're following the 4% rule, translates to a whopping 75,000 euros being needed to be added to your portfolio. So, yeah, definitely sobering. But I guess the silver lining is, is that things do change. The only real constant in the world is change and at some point inflation will return to more normal levels and the ability for us to retire early will become possible again. I genuinely don't know if retiring in a high inflation environment would be a good idea anyway. And as you alluded to, we really don't know and we really can't time markets regardless. So simply cost averaging in in the long run is probably the best approach. And I guess a final word on inflation. Look, inflation inflation sucks. That's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, at the moment, supermarket inflation is probably the big one. And it is. It's really hard to go to the supermarket and see something that you buy once or twice a week has gone up in price. We shop at Aldi typically, and I like to say it's the 20, 30 or 50 cents price rise. And believe it or not, I am one of these people that keeps track of pretty much every item that we buy week in, week out. And I have seen fairly significant increases in many of the items. In fact, most of the items have gone up by anywhere between 20 to 50 cents per item, which does make a big difference. But I think one important thing to note with inflation is that it can be scary hearing all of these things about all oh, inflation's at 10% and so on. But I think we often need to think about personal inflation as well. So just because prices have gone up 10% over a year doesn't mean that your own experiences and your own personal inflation would have gone up 10%. Now, it could have gone up more, so we have to be careful of that. But at the same time, we do have the option to control our own inflation levels. So for example, two things that I did myself this year was one, we got solar panels installed as a hedge against rising energy prices. And two, we upgraded our car to a more efficient make and model, which ensured that our cost per kilometer was reduced significantly. So it certainly is possible by changing habits and changing things to increase our cost when it comes to personal inflation. Nobody in our family has realized that earlier this year, I downgraded from the luxury brand of toilet paper to the regular brand, which happened to ensure that we didn't experience inflation when it came to our toilet paper usage. So that's certainly one way that we were able to get away with it, that old concept of watering things down. But it is what it is, and sometimes we do need to make small sacrifices when it comes to keeping on top of our own personal inflation. Yes, I know that you have a YouTube channel, and I know you're extremely passionate about sharing a lot of this stuff, and I know your YouTube channel probably covers stuff in a more simplistic way, but also I love some of the stuff you speak about when it comes to generational wealth. I will share a link in the show notes to your channel. But yeah, do you want to explain a little bit about your channel and how it all started? Yes, thank you. So I have, let's say, I have a YouTube channel called Money Principles. I have an Instagram account that's uh, at uh, money.principles. Uh, I also have a TikTok account, also money.principles. Um, what, I, what I share on my uh, channels, I want, to, I want to give financial education. So that's the main purpose. But 
I want to keep it more broadly than, for instance, what you see, you see Dave Ramsey covering financial peace, financial security. You see the FIRE movement primarily targeting on financial freedom. But there is a lot more to say about personal finance. And I personally really like generational wealth uh, because that's one of, one of my, let's say, financial goals to build generational wealth. Okay, how does family banking work? How does a trust work? What do you need to teach your children? Also about how do you do proper wealth management? And that's not just about picking the right investments and building a good investment portfolio, but also building, let's say, safety features in your portfolio or in your strategy that helps you cope with, for instance, this market volatility and really learn about, okay, what do really wealthy people do? Uh, so I want to give, let's say, the full picture. I want to talk about the full picture because I think that if you start your journey, maybe you don't have a lot of savings, maybe you want to get out of debt. It's great to have a big goal as well to also learn a bit about generational wealth because then if you link the dots together, I think you will already make much better financial decisions in the earlier part of your journey. And getting to generational wealth is not something that you do in a year. Uh, same with financial freedom. It's not something that you will achieve in a year, but it will be something that if you take the time and if you uh, learn about it, um, I think you will be more aware of the financial decisions that you make. And hopefully you make better one and hope to inspire people and teach them also about investing. But I think uh, I want to cover more topics than just investing. It's not just an investing channel. It's also about personal finance, generational wealth, but also financial freedom and financial peace, or also called financial security. Uh, thank you so much, Yessa. Look, it's been hugely appreciated having you on the show. Really do appreciate your take on some of the things that are going on, particularly in the market at the moment. I'll be sure to link to your YouTube channel in the show notes, as well as your social media accounts. And for anybody listening, by all means, do reach out to Yessa on his social media or YouTube channels. Or alternatively, if you have any questions on the episode, drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie. Yessa, thank you again. It's been hugely appreciated having you on the show and wishing you all the best moving forward. Thank you for having me, Michael. It was a pleasure. <laughs>